if somebody paid you 50 bucks to sit still for a week and not talk, do you think you, you could do it? No. I don't think I could even do it for a day. Really? That just seems impossible to me. I love just lying on the couch and watching Netflix for hours, but I'm still like doing what I want and I could talk if I wanted to. <laughs> I, don't, I think it sounds doable, but then again, I've never, I don't know the longest I've been quiet for without sleeping. Yeah, me either. I can't even think about it. That's what's so fascinating about this week's bird, yeah. Wendy, who took that exact challenge on and changed her whole life when someone dared her that she couldn't sit still and not talk for a week. And she was like, I'll show you No, how to do this. It blows my mind. So yeah, basically Wendy took on this challenge to sit there for a week without talking. And it led to a life altering decision that involved divorce, um, Buddhism, relocation to Los Angeles and a whole bunch of crazy stuff. So it was amazing talking to Wendy about that. And, and, you know, I find Zen and Buddhism so, I don't know, fascinating and calming. And I kind of wonder how can I bring some of that into my life and hearing her approach to things really put some stuff in perspective. And it's super interesting to hear from someone who's made such a big commitment to their whole lifestyle for so many years. And she does actually have some really interesting things to say about um, committing to things. And even when it gets hard, you've got to stick to it, which I feel like is the exact opposite to what we're told a lot of the time now. Like, if it gets hard, it's not the right thing. Like, move on and try something else. And she's just stuck with it and has some really good perspectives on commitment. Yeah. She also said this really, really interesting thing around planning. She's like, it's nice to have goals and like something to work towards, but don't like bind yourself to a plan because when it doesn't go the way you want it, you know, you can really shut down or freak out. And, you know, I was thinking about that in the context of my life, especially with like, you know, culturally people are like, oh, you're this age, you should be getting married. You should be having a family. You should be doing X, Y, Z. And when she was like, yeah, but that's just one way of living I'm like yeah it is just one way of living that's but I'm so tied yeah. to this but one for some way. reason we think it's like the way because that's all you hear about most of the time so it's refreshing to hear and you have to keep reminding yourself over and over again like it's not the only way there are <laughs> many ways yeah I know I, I I'm still trying to wrap my head around that I'm like what is an alternative way and when I meet people who are like so convinced on of their path that isn't as traditional as I think it might be I I sort of I envy them I'm like I wish I I didn't care about these things like you don't care yeah we'll work on it we're working on it (laughs) all right so with that we'll talk to Wendy Agyoko Nakao who is the abbot of the Zen Center here in Los Angeles and this is her story Yes, I do. And the reason I do is because I came on January 1st, 1978, and I had taken a sabbatical from my job to come to the Zen Center. And what brought you to the Zen Center? I was interested in doing Zen practice. Mm -hmm. At the time, 
I had gone to school, so I left Hawaii to go to college in Washington State. And then after I finished my graduate work, I was working at a community college. And I had gotten interested at that time in uh, Zen meditation. So a co-worker brought me a flyer from Zen Center of Los Angeles, you know, that said, Zen living ain't easy, and you know, there's three months intensive retreats you could do. And I thought, I want to do that. In re reference to your interview on Urban Dharma, you said that you got into the Zen thing through an ex experimental, like... Somebody challenged me that I couldn't sit still and be quiet for a week. And I said, okay, it was only $50, the bet. Right. But um, something had already stirred in me about it. I had been taking uh, an, a Japanese architecture class, because at the time I was married, to my first husband, we had planned a trip to Japan, maybe go see the architecture, things like that, you know, it never materialized, but I, so I took this class in preparation for it. And it just so happened that the professor was also a Zen practitioner. And he mentioned that there was a Zen master coming from Japan to lead a seven-day retreat. And that's how it started. So then I went home to tell my husband, whose best friend was visiting, and his best friend said, oh, I bet you couldn't sit still and be quiet for a whole week. So I said, okay, I'm going. I'm going. And then something big happened after that. Something big happened. When I was sitting in that retreat, you know, I realized um, that I had no clue as to what my life was about and who I was, just like clueless. And I had always, from when I was very young, had a deep interest in spiritual things. But it never got really explored. Mm -hmm. But the whole question of wow, what is my life about? Just arose so powerfully in me. So then I went home and I told my husband I was going to leave him because I, I was clueless as to who I was and what my life was about. Mm. It sounds so trite now, you know? That's amazing. And I feel like such a common experience for a lot of people, um, myself included, which I think is why I travel so much too. Like, where do I belong? What am I doing? Where yeah. am I going? Do you think that is a decision that somebody can make themselves on the spot to say, you know what, I am, this is who I am right now and this is where I'm putting my energy in. Or the fact that we keep seeking means we'll never find it. First of all, you know, in Zen we say, you already are what you're seeking, right? And your life already is completely what you're seeking. And yet we have to go on this journey, it seems. It's very human kind of um, impulse to realize who we are and to find our place in the world. So I think that's just a very deep, like instinctual thing <laughs> that, that, that awakens for some people, not everyone. Sometimes people come here because this question has always been alive for them, but they've also maybe never really had a chance to explore it. Some people start to really question if they've never questioned before, when something happens in their life, it could be something very traumatic, you lose a child, mm -hmm. you lose a spouse, something like that happens and it really shakes you up. So suddenly life is not the stable thing you thought it might have been mm -hmm. and so the questioning then begins, so people start to seek. People can say, maybe to justify an action or a behavior, well that's just who I am. 
you know, and I, I wonder what that means. That's just who I am. Does that mean you, uh, have you accepted who you are? Have you resigned to something? Or are you making an excuse? Right. <laughs> or uh, are we constantly changing? You know? Well, we are, aren't we? So but then how, how do we say we accept who we are? In the Zen spiritual world, we learn to deeply reflect on this so-called self, this who I am. Mm. And we really come to see a couple of things. One is that it's not a solid entity. We're not fixed beings. And yet here is this body and this person that is responsible for what it does, you know. Mm. But we also begin to recognize there are a lot of parts of this being that are unexplored. So the way I define myself in a, is very narrow. There's a lot that's excluded. We call those like the shadow areas. It could be a traumatic area. It could be whatever deep personal suffering we have that we somehow are, uh, don't have the means to actually open a door and begin to be present to it. So when we talk about self-acceptance, on one hand we're talking about that process of this kind of deep self-exploration. Mm. In the Zen world, that exploration includes the fact that ultimately there is no fixed sense of me. And for people what often happens is that over many years of this practice, we begin to have more courage to look at the things that we never look at about ourselves. You know, and of course, the, the, the mystery is this quiet act of sitting brings those things up. Mm-hmm. And so we learn to, to be in relationship to those things without having to repress anything, mm-hmm. not having to act it out all the time. Mm-hmm. We develop the spiritual muscles to just be present to it so that our relationship to it begins to change. In what way does it change? Yeah, like you're saying, you're not repressing something. Yeah. You're yeah. identifying it and saying, yeah. oh, that exists. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do with that Let me give you an example. Let's say anger, because a lot of people have a lot of anger. Let's say somebody's sitting and their anger arises, like, really intensely. For a while, it may be that they cannot really be present to it. And they may just immediately go into their story about the anger. And in their story about the anger, they think they're experiencing anger, but they're not. They come to realize that, oh, this feeling has arisen, and this feeling is very uncomfortable for me, and I don't want to feel that, and I don't want to be angry. And I spend all my time arguing about it, telling my story, blaming everybody. It's a fundamental practice we do. We're sitting, we're following our breath, we notice when thoughts and feelings arise, and we return to the breath. So when intense emotion arises, we are off on our story. And we don't know we're off. But we're checking in, you know, with the teacher and our fellow practitioners, and people start pointing out to us, oh yes, the minute you realize that, come back to your breath. You'll make the choice to return. Mm-hmm. So you have to learn to do that mm-hmm. because you don't have that muscle initially. For most people, yeah. the muscle is to go flying off the handle and taking yourself somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. In the meantime, we continue to sit. So the sitting over time gives us a real sense of stability and grounding. Mm-hmm. It also gives us a sense of spaciousness. So we actually have space around the anger now. Yeah. 
the other thing that's happening because we're you know we're we're trying to be so aware <laughs> is the awareness is strengthening so the quality of awareness is getting stronger and more precise but the minute i awake to that i see i have a choice and this moment of choice is important for us to see because most people will say it just happened well it doesn't just happen right we're deeply conditioned it does just happen but it doesn't we have a choice now i have a choice in this moment i can continue my story or I can come back to my breath and be present and awake now. I wouldn't say everybody should sit because we all find our own expression and we all have our own styles of being, you know. But certainly to find a way to be quiet. I think that's really important, particularly in our busy, busy worlds. There's so many stressors and demands on us. And even if you do five minutes a day, consistently... And just breathe. Feel your body on your chair. Just awareness of your surrounding. You mentioned in the interview, and I think this is something that everybody thinks and feels, but like following your gut. And I think you sort of mentioned that that's always been something very strong for you, and you've kind of gone with those urges. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing, isn't it? I did use the word gut because... I don't know, I think I experienced it in my gut. <laughs> and it's that visceral, right? For other people might use the word intuition. There's like a knowing, you know, and I say the word knowing, but I need to qualify that because it really comes from not knowing. It, it really comes from a not knowing place. You know what it is? It's like our fundamental wisdom that's inherent in everyone, is, is somehow alive and activated. There's an instinct where we know, and it goes beyond anything we're thinking about. It cuts through all the thinking, rational, evaluating pros and cons mind. And in a way, meditation, Zen meditation, hones that place. If nothing else, people get to see how they've lost that sense of that, for, for whatever reason, that was always alive in me, I think, and it never got doubted by the adults in my life. Mm. And so that's always been a guiding force for me very clearly, and I trust it, mm -hmm. because it doesn't come from a places of my own insecurities or having to know how it's going to happen or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's like when I suddenly left my marriage and right. the whole thing is like, you know, oh my God. <laughs> Everybody else was like, oh my God, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I didn't know what I was doing except I knew it had to be done. Mm -hmm. That's all I knew. And I, I have come across people, especially among women, who have really... I had a huge disconnect from themselves in that. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time, if ever, to reconnect. And a lot of it comes from our sense of ourselves that hasn't de didn't develop normally and naturally from early on. It's just right. somehow that process was interrupted in a way that it becomes the life work to reconnect, to rediscover mm -hmm. that. And that, that's, that's deep spiritual work. So what about going back to you having that strong feeling and leaving your husband? Before that, when you went to marry him, was there a feeling in there saying, oh, maybe this isn't quite right, or was it right at the time? 
I don't think I thought about it uh, in that way. At that time, I was just following the agenda that had been laid out for my life, which was you finish college, and I was the first one in my family to finish college, but I knew I was doing that. You get married, you have a family. But it, it really wasn't an agenda I owned, yeah. but it's all I knew. I didn't have the imagination to realize yeah. I could be doing something really different. Yeah. <laughs> because in my family, you know what, it was, you just sort of didn't do that. There weren't a lot of examples of people who did that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a vision of what that could be for me. Mm-hmm. So when I got married, I was just following along my little yeah. path here, my little agenda. But then when I sat that you know, one week retreat, suddenly I said, oh, wait a minute, I've done that already, <laughs> and I'm only like 25 or something. <laughs> oh my God, what am I, what's going on? What is happening? And I had a vision, I had a vision of myself 20 years down the road, let's say I'm 45, I was 25, I'm 45, and I saw myself in a complete nervous breakdown, and I said, I can't go down this path. I have no idea where I'm going. I, I really had no idea of who I was, it's truly. I said, but I need to leave, and I need to open a door, and I don't know where it's going to go. So that, that was really what happened to me. Do you think that that agenda that obviously is so common, mm-hmm. that we're all in, yeah. is a left, it's a leftover from an agenda that made sense a while ago, and now... We're this huge mix of people who are like, this isn't the agenda for me. I don't know what it is, but there's still, it's still so strong in culture yeah. that it draws people to it and it puts so much pressure that I, I guess I'm, saying, I'm just wondering that like in maybe even 50 years from now, this notion of college and marrying a family what would just yeah. be one option? It's one option of many. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that option, you know? I think it's great if that's what fits you. Right. I think it's wonderful. I, I wish I had adult children. I mean, I just didn't want to go through having them and raising them. <laughs> but now at my age, you know, I love the kids in my life, you know, but they're not kids I gave birth to. I gave birth to spiritual kids, so my motherhood took a different form. <laughs> yeah. But... It was clearly not a path that I was going to take in this lifetime. So I was always clear about that. But I think it's great when people do that. You know, I really do. And I think being a mother, even in this age, is an amazing spiritual path. And I like to encourage women to take it on in that way because our children are amazing teachers. And I think to be able to raise a child that never loses touch with who they are is just a tremendous thing. But no question in our day and age, in this country, it's not true around the world. We have so many more options, you know, and I think I sensed that early on. Mm-hmm. And whereas my mother didn't have these options. She, she really did not. You said that you would love to have adult children now, but there's no sort of sense of regret or anything like that. You know... It's very interesting. I had uh, a moment of intense regret once. I was talking to my partner, and my partner lives in Seattle. You know, we've been together many, many years. I was up there, and it's like my awareness shifted, you know, like a kaleidoscope, mm-hmm. and it shifted. And I said to him, Why have I spent my life doing what I'm doing? And he just sort of looked at me, and I said, we could have had a family. We could have raised kids. And he was like, we could have? (laughs) 
I mean, he, you know, he has no, he did that with someone else. So I have stepson, but, and that's a great thing. But, but, you know, he was like just looking at me and, and I said, yes, I said, I so regret that I didn't have children. So I just had that moment and I just let myself have it. And then, of course, it passed. Gosh. <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, there's a part of me then that can go there, mm. you know? And it's, it's fine that it surfaced. And yet, I'm very fulfilled in my life, and I don't regret it. And I had that moment of deep regret. Right. <laughs> and I think that that's just even interesting in itself, is that I think it ties into, obviously, everything you've been saying, but you have this moment... And then you experience it and you let it go and you don't create a story that comes with you for years and years Exactly. That stops you from doing other things. Exactly. And it was such a vivid and powerful experience. You know, it's like I awakened from my life as it is now in that moment. Wow. <laughs> you know, I always say life is, life is not linear. I think of it, you know, more as a spiral. I love spirals. Mm. You know, Zen is circle, the big circle, which means the boundless, seamless life, you know. You know, nothing ever goes away, right? Mm. So a lot of times we live in a linear sense in that maybe we're working through some traumatic experience and we we think we've come to the other side of it. You know, we come to a certain piece about it. Mm-hmm. And we go on with our lives. And then 10 years later, boom, there it is again. And people are like, but I dealt with that before. But I tell them, no, think of it as a spiral. We, keep, we, we go over the same, it's not the same, but maybe we think of it as the same experience or landscape. Yeah. But we're different now. I'm always torn between this goal of stability or like neutrality and now realizing to try to embrace the upheaval or something as a learning experience it's very important so you know it's interesting you use the word neutrality a deep spiritual life uh, or just even let's talk about meditation is not about being neutral Mm. at all so neutrality for me has this implication that Somehow things are flattened out, yeah. right? And life is so vividly alive. There's nothing flat about it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that sense of flattening, I many, many meditators fall into this. They, they're actually repressing, mm-hmm. right? They're not as alive as they could be. But what we're actually doing is um, we're getting a sense of groundedness in a world that is totally ungrounded. So, so where would you find that, right? And then in that process, we're becoming really open. We're willing to trust our own awareness of what's happening. Yeah, I guess what I meant by neutrality is having these moments of intense emotion, yeah. right? And being overwhelmed. And then this moment of calm. Yes. And, but I'm, I always wonder, oh, how could I have been so emotional two hours ago and be so calm right now. Why can't I be calm all the time? No, because you can't. No. Because you can't. Mm -hmm. That's why. So stop striving for it. Well, there's an expectation, Mm -hmm. right? And many people have this as meditators. I I, I expect to achieve calmness no matter what's going on. Right. Right? 
Well, that expectation can get you in a lot of trouble if you're, if you're attached to it, mm-hmm. if you're fixed to it. So just don't be fixed to it. Just know I have that expectation. That'd be really cool. So what I always say is um, develop the skill. It's like a skill to live in a very centered way within yourself. And this is something you're constantly training. So when you become very emotional and you're crying, let yourself do that. This is not a problem, you know. And when that episode is over, (laughs) just come back to your center, right? And the more that you can train yourself to do that, you'll get to the point, even when strong emotions come at you, you can just let yourself feel that and still have a sense of your centeredness. Mm. I wonder if you could give some advice in the context of, I don't know, being a young woman um, in a place of unknowing and and with so much to experience ahead. How would you sort of say, okay, well, look forward in this way or... Wow. You know what comes up for me is get to really know yourself. And who is that? person and what does that mean really get to know yourself in, in, a, in a deep way mm-hmm. well you know your generation is going to live to be a hundred easily oh, so there's no rush I mean truly people you know I have people here practicing in their 80s and 90s and you realize you know what we're living a very long time yeah 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 no rush except for the biological clock there is a biological clock there's always adoption there's many unwanted children in the world I mean, there's so many ways you can fulfill that mm-hmm. you, you know mm-hmm. and you know what's interesting my root teacher who founded this temple would always say people who really want children end up not being able to have them sometimes mm-hmm. people who don't want them find themselves pregnant so who is determining what Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we think we can plan all these things out, and some people seem to manage to do it. I'm always amazed when people say, oh, I'm going to have this number of kids, and they actually do it. Right. <laughs> doesn't always work out that way. It just doesn't. We all have our own karmic conditioning, too, that we're living out. Mm-hmm. And we don't quite know what that is, except that we are living it out. So we'll find out, I guess. It doesn't mean we don't have dreams and things we want to do, and things we focus on, and maybe we focus on it, and something totally different arises, and we go in a whole other direction. You know, we don't know. On the other hand, we think we're going one way, and suddenly we have a child who has a real mental and physical handicap, and our life takes off in a whole other direction. You know, there's no right or wrong about it, Mm -hmm. really. We are always living a life of not knowing. We have no idea what's going to happen. It doesn't mean we can't plan. We don't know that the plans will ever be fulfilled. I mean, I don't know if this house is going to be standing tomorrow. We could have the 8.0, <laughs> you know? I don't know that. It doesn't mean I stop working. <laughs> so we're always in not knowing. Yeah. And not knowing can become a fearful thing or it can become a deep spiritual underpinning in, in our lives. And as far as things working out, what we really are doing, as far as I'm concerned... I'm training myself to meet life however it's going to manifest. Because that's all I can do. Now, what does working out mean? 
I mean, maybe for some people it might mean getting what I want or it's going to look how I'm dreaming it is. No, that's just living in storyland. It doesn't mean we can't have dreams and, you know, like that. I mean, that, those are great. But as I say, don't, don't fix them and don't get attached to them. <laughs> What's more important is you train yourself to be stable and grounded so that you can meet whatever arises in your life. You'll, you'll have the muscles, the spiritual muscles to do that.